one word that uh, I, I don't think I used enough was the word beauty. And I think that uh, um, beauty being, and I, I believe it's true, beauty is a form of truth. And I think that we have a tendency to discount that a little bit. Truth being a very word-centric thing, and we've lost the idea that beauty is a form of truth. And I would say um, probably a, uh, a non-rational form of truth that that God uses to display his glory. And um, we need to, imagination allows us to tap into that again, to um, see God through beauty and, and through um, the expressions uh, of God's people in beauty. Hello, friends. This is episode 66 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author, and I am thrilled that you have decided to join me today for this really great interview with Manuel Luz. Uh, this is a treat today. It's I just loved talking to him. This was just so much fun. I've been on a bit of a break from the podcast for about a month, uh, just as I've been going through a transition, uh, going from full-time pastoring in my congregation in Winnipeg, Prairie Presbyterian Church, Winnipeg in Canada, uh, to halftime, and I've taken on a new halftime role with my denomination in a church planting program uh, that we are starting to uh, roll out and do, which I spoke a bunch about on the last kind of mini episode that I did. I'm not even really counting it as an episode, but it's in the podcast feed. You can go back and listen to it if you're interested in what I'm doing in terms of church planting right now, which is uh, some really exciting work uh, that uh, we are getting started with in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. So uh, very cool. Um, but today we have this uh, great interview, and we're also right in the beginning of the season of Advent. Uh, the first Sunday of Advent was uh, just this week, and uh, we marked that at our church. We do that through uh, lighting candles, speaking about hope, um, talking about the various Advents of Christ, uh, as in the first Advent, Advent meaning just arrival. The first Advent is really what we celebrate at Christmas, and we remember back to the beginning of uh, the Gospels, where Jesus appears on the scene as this little baby. That's the first Advent, and we anticipate and look ahead to the second Advent, or the second coming, and all the things that that means. Um, and so it's kind of a, this really interesting time of year where we emphasize waiting, and we emphasize anticipation, and... Um, it can kind of get sucked up into this uh, commercialized Christmas, which we're all familiar with, where we'll talk already about how we're in the Christmas season now, when in fact we're in this season of anticipation and waiting and preparing. Um, and pre preparation in the spiritual life, my sense is it's not, um, it's not really about the frenzied preparation that we usually have associated with the holidays. Uh, preparation in spiritual life, I think, involves making some space or what we're doing at, uh, at my congregation is we're talking a little bit about making room uh, and talked about this metaphor of when a new baby is on the way, uh, parents will make room and they might be surprised at how much room a baby is going to take up. So how do we make room for Christ? Um, I think there's this inbreaking of God that God just shows up, that Jesus just breaks into our lives by the Holy Spirit, and that's amazing and wonderful and good. But at the same time, there are things we can do to make room or make space. So it might be the lighting of a candle or the saying of a set prayer or a specific time for devotionals or a place in your home that you've set aside uh, for Advent candles or a Jesse tree or something that is your reminder of your focus during this season on this anticipation of the coming kingdom that is both now and not yet. So uh, it's this great time of year. Advent is this fantastic time of year. And I really want to encourage you as you are stepping through Advent to think how you are marking the season and not just go through the 
ordinary routine of chaos preparing for Christmas. There are all kinds of great Advent resources out there. You can just go and search for them and find tons and tons of stuff. Um, I've talked about a couple of things around Advent on this show before. We're not doing that during the season of Advent. I figured we would just go with our regular interview format, and that could just be uh, what we do on this podcast. Um, But if you are looking for Uh, something in particular for your kids. There's this great book that I've talked about a bunch called uh, Look, um, and it's by Laura Allery. We read sections of that in our church yesterday, and uh, I think it was a really good way to kind of introduce the season of Advent. Um, So you you obviously wouldn't be able to get that in time for the beginning of Advent because it's already now, but for sure by the end of it, you could probably go and order that book, uh, Look by Laura Allery. So I'll just do another plug for her book uh, today. Uh, before we get into this interview. Uh, The interview that you're about to hear was so much fun to do. Uh, Let me just tell you that uh, Manuel Luz was uh, an aerospace engineer by day and a jazz pop musician by night. Now, if that doesn't make you want to listen to the rest of this interview, I don't know what will. That's a pretty cool combination. And what's even more amazing is we get into this pretty early on in the interview just about how he's now a worship pastor. He's been a worship pastor for 18 years, uh, but engineering and obviously music are still things that he draws upon uh, in his life. Um, He is also the inventor of a new musical instrument, which is just really amazing. Uh, So we talk a little bit about that. But actually, as the interview unfolds, um, you'll find that this is actually a conversation that is all about being yourself, being authentic in the context of worship. And then how does imagination and beauty and our language all play into how we are authentically ourselves in worship of God? So this is if you've ever been in worship services and either things are just not connecting for you, I think listening to what Manuel Luz has to say in this interview can be really helpful in trying to understand what what maybe should be going on in worship for the worshiper. Uh, So it's a really great conversation. And then at the end, as usual, we talk a little bit about spiritual practices. And we stumble upon this idea that we have a tendency to lean into the spiritual disciplines that we do really well or that we like, and we don't always venture out beyond that. And he gives a really great example of what that might look like to venture beyond what we would normally do or what we would feel most comfortable doing in spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. So we cover all kinds of ground, um, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So here's that interview now. Have a listen. Today on the podcast, uh, I have Manuel Luz, and I'm just thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks you for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you are the creative arts pastor at Oak Hills Church, is that right, in Folsom, California? Yeah, I have been there for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but I was reading up on your bio, kind of just seeing some of the things that you've done or where you've come from and, and really like you've got a, it sounds like a really interesting background. So I'd just love to hear a little bit of your story. Like there was mention of being an aerospace engineer in there, uh, jazz musician, pop music musician, and then worship pastor and, and in a very fast growing church as well, very large church, uh, eventually. Um, so I just look, can you tell me a little more of your story? Like what is this journey that got through all of these different things? Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I look back at it. Um, uh, I have a uh, Catholic background um, that I walked away from when I was a young teenager. Um, and, uh, you know, I was one of those people that uh, was very artistic um, always. I uh, was always drawing, always, uh, always. At an early age, I actually started writing music. Um, I am primarily a pianist, but also play keyboards and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I ended up being this engineer by day, um, and I would be playing gigs at uh, nightclubs at night, and I would do recording and 
Uh, I got involved with studio work and that kind of thing. So it was all, I always had that part of me. And then uh, um, uh, in my early 20s, um, uh, Jesus uh, captured my heart. And I started kind of reframing all of that in light of who he was and who he was calling me to be. So by the time I was uh, uh, 29, uh, 30, uh, I felt a call to go into the ministry. Um, but I kept playing. Um, yeah. at, in the, I kept playing in, uh, in uh, uh, different various gigs and things like that. And, but I just started writing music that was more framed around my faith, around Jesus. So, so that's kind of how that, that kind of worked. Um, I uh, still have this aerospace background as an engineer and a, a program manager. And it, it, believe it or not, it's helped me a lot in ministry. It, uh, uh, there's, there's a tendency for uh, most uh, music ministers to be a little bit on the, on the uh, unorganized side of things. I'm one of those weird ones that has a very well-developed left brain and right brain. And I can, I can do a lot of stuff. I have a pretty high motor. So been able to um, do a lot of things for the Lord over the course of time. There's a, one other thing that happened just recently. Uh, um, a friend of mine and I, we invented this new musical instrument. And so I find myself again suddenly, which we ended up patenting and now we're, we're manufacturing it. So I find myself once again, like doing engineering again, which is kind of a crazy thing. So uh, one of the things I do on the side uh, in the midst of this book thing and the music thing and ministering, so... There's a lot of there's a lot of irons in the fire, man. Okay, okay. So, how does someone invent a new? Like, don't we have all the instruments? Isn't that like how does someone invent <laughs> I a instrument? No, I. Uh, it's I, I talk about um, um, all of these um, napkin revelations. Yeah, you, yeah. you pull out a napkin and you go, "What if we did this?" And you just start doodling, and yeah. then suddenly something happens. And you know, they they you know the turn of the century last century they were going to close the patent office because they said oh everything's been invented yet <laughs> right yeah, yeah. that was over 100 years ago yeah, right so yeah. so no i don't think everything's been invented yeah. it's been it's it's very cool because we're um i tell people you know i as my understanding is the last uh, musical instrument that was developed for the glory of god was the organ hmm. so every other instrument that's in the church has been uh invented developed in the world and brought into the church. And I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to have an instrument that was invented and developed in the church and went out into the world. Wow. Uh, okay. That's, it, it, that's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> so what, like, th- does it have a name? Like what? what yeah, is- it's called a, sorry. It's called a walkabout. It's a percussion instrument. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to plug myself shamelessly walkabout drum.com. And there are demos there. There's a, uh, um, we have uh, endorsing artists that are showing it and playing it and that kind of thing. So, That's... so it's a, it's a, it's essentially it's a, uh, it's a guitar shaped percussion instrument that you can wear on a strap. So suddenly the drummer can be up front and interact with the audience, walk around, um, sing. So that's why we call it the walkabout. That's cool. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. And okay, you know, maybe there's some maybe there's some uh, musicians listening who are gonna have to check that out too. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah that sounds kind of cool. Um, now we're we're kind of uh, the reason we got connected is you have a book called Honest Worship from False Self to True Praise, and um, and so I we'll spend a bit of time talking about about the book or just some ideas, some some things around worship. I think and uh, and as a worship pastor. Uh, yourself, I think you've got some great insights into this. But maybe first, just why another book on worship? Because I, I think you even mentioned this in the in the intro. There's a lot of books on worship. There's um, a lot of really great books on worship yeah. written by people who are a lot smarter than me. <laughs> um, and I, I do mention that this is a book that I tried not to write for a long time, but I mm-hmm. I felt like there was something missing in um, what was. Uh, in the in the current um, streams of worship expression right now, there just seems to be something that was a little bit missing, or a little bit um, a, a little bit off from True North in in some of it. So I, um, some of it has to do with uh, um, the culture that we're in. Um, our, our culture is becoming increasingly narcissistic. Our culture is becoming 
more consumer oriented, uh, celebrity driven. We're all looking for the next big wow. And I think inadvertently, uh, and I, I really want to emphasize inadvertently, um, some churches are starting to um, use that and play into that, but then it becomes a part of the worship experience. And I wonder what we are really teaching people uh, when we're forming their hearts as worshipers, mm. um, when we allow them to bring their consumerism and their narcissism into the sanctuaries. So this this is in some uh, in, at some aspect my way of trying to uh, tie in a theological way, uh, spiritual formation to worship and how important that is Yeah, that we form our hearts in the right way. Yeah. And my, my sense is, is this, this isn't a handbook for, you know, how to lead worship. Like that's, um, this is a book for worshipers for like my sense is this is a book for the people of God, um, in what it means to engage in worship. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I, I do have, I mean, I've been a worship pastor for a long time, and I have, I feel um, an obligation, uh, um, a real heart for forming the hearts of worshipers. And so this is a book for worshipers, not just guys who lead worship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you, you have some things in there about authenticity, and, and I think this goes along with this, what you're talking about. There's a lot of narcissism and, and consumerism. So what does it actually mean to be authentic in worship? That, to me as well, has been kind of a buzzword sometimes, um, being authentic. Um, what does that really mean to be authentic in worship? Or how do our, our false selves get in the way of, of this loving encounter and relationship with God that gets right. from worship? Right. Matt, Matt that your question actually goes right to the heart of what I'm trying to do in this book. And my uh, publisher and I uh, talked about that for a while, the idea that the word authentic has been used so often mm-hmm. that it's kind of lost its meaning. Yeah. And she was actually the one that said, let's call it honest, honest right. worship. Yeah. And um, that's, it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, a trigger word, I guess, because the, everyone goes honest. What does that mean? So when I, when I try to explain that, and you, you mentioned the false self, the false self is a, um, is a, something I think that's really important to understand that, and I think most people don't, unless you have a psychological background of some kind. Um, I, I say that the false, uh, the term false self refers to an identity we unconsciously form throughout our lives that disguises, undergirds, and protects us. It's, it's false because it's based on an inner dialogue of self-sustaining lies, defense mechanisms, and conscious and subconscious pretending. Um, and so what I'm trying to say here is that we, we all have a, a bit of a false self in that uh, we have been deformed by uh, the experiences of our lives. You know, someone called us stupid or we think we need to earn our, our self-worth or there's all of these ways in which we learn the wrong ways uh, how to live our lives. And so uh, in terms of sp- spiritual formation, um, it's actually spiritual deformation is what happens in our lives. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, I want, I see a new, a new you and I want to make you new. And so that's what spiritual formation is. But we have a tendency to bring our false self into worship. And um, that's the, that's the uh, issue that I, I try to deal with. And I use um, John 4, um, the Samaritan woman at the well, kind of as the, as the proof text for all of that. When, uh, she, you know, I, I, if you recall the story, uh, Jesus uh, meets a woman and starts to talk to her. And immediately she puts on her defenses and she's trying to deflect and she lies and she is pretending to be somebody that she is not in front of Jesus. And she's, uh, Jesus says, this is, and this is the, I think it might be the only place in the in the Bible where Jesus directly teaches on worship. And he says, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. And I think we all have an, a good understanding what spirit is, but I don't think anyone has ever talked about what that, the word truth means. And as I, as I read the passage, I'm, I'm realizing, you know, Jesus is talking to a person and she, he knows that she's lying to his face. Um, and so he looks at her, you know, with great love and gentleness and says, you have to, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. 
And I think part of that means not only the truth of who God is, but also the truth of who we are. And so what he's saying is to her, you can stop pretending because I know everything about you. And you don't have to put on these illusions. You don't have to put on these defense mechanisms. And if you look at the passage, uh, uh, Jesus very, very carefully and lovingly unravels her false self right in front of her, but does it in a way that is redemptive and loving. And she runs off later and says, this man told, told me everything about myself. And she didn't care anymore. You know, she, she had been freed from all of that false self. And I, I think it was, it's a beautiful um, story that kind of shows us the kind of worship that, that Jesus um, really wants, where we unravel our false selves and our pretensions, um, our, our consumerism, our narcissism, and we come before God as we truly are. So that's that's kind of what I mean when it says when it says um, honest worship. Yeah. That's the heart of it. Yeah. Um, can you give us a sense for like what what does that look like? Like what does that actually look like on a like if I show up to uh, a church on a on a, say on a Sunday morning it doesn't have to be Sunday morning but show up to church on a Sunday morning and um, what does honest worship look like? Is it is it only about me the worshiper or is it about uh, the community, the collective, is it connected somewhat to the leadership? What is, what is a picture of, of honest worship as you would imagine it? Wow. Um, it's a big question, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it is a big question. Um, uh, the, I think that, that uh, you know, we talked earlier about the, the word authenticity and how that's bandied about a lot. And we want authentic, uh, we want authentic leaders. We want authentic uh, um, churches. Um, but I don't know if we're ready for that. You know, do, do we really want um, a, a pastor that, that talks about his own uh, sin and his own um, um, his misgivings, the, the things in his life that he uh, regrets? I mean, is that really what we want in our churches? And I think the answer is uh, we can do that in a way that is redemptive. I mean, you don't want someone just spilling their guts every Sunday, you know, but, but the, the idea that we can walk humbly before our Lord, uh, um, knowing that none of us have it together. And if, if, uh, if, if pastors, uh, writing, uh, and, and preaching sermons honestly had that as a part of their DNA and they were able to speak from that place, if worship, uh, leaders were actually able to lead from that true place of humility. Um, if people uh, were would stop having image management happening in their churches, um, uh, I, ha- I had a um, uh, when I was writing the book, I, I used an analogy. Uh, or I'm sorry, a, 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 sto- a, a an example of someone who will have an argument with their spouse on the car ride to work, uh, I'm sorry, the car ride to church. And then they'll walk in the church and pretend that everything's okay. Right. And, um, and uh, my publisher said, that might not be a good one because that happens too often. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, it, but it's, it's, it's true. There's, there's actually a, um, a passage of scripture that says, if you have something you know, going on between a conflict between you and your brother or sister, handle it first and then come back. Yeah. to to the to the altar and um but we think that that's that's okay to do that and i'm thinking you no know, there's actually where another life that we're called to where that doesn't happen yeah so i don't know if i answered your question yeah i well i think i think so um i'm wondering too if uh like i it, something popped into my head as you were talking was just kind of thinking about uh, like the way Quaker worship happens is, um, you know, we sit in silence until the spirit moves and then we speak. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if like, maybe that's more honest, <laughs> like, um, then like, there's one thing about preachers preparing messages or sermons, but there's also something about worship that I think facilitates a way for the people who are gathered to be honest. So that might not always look like the pastor modeling that, um, 
like I'm even thinking about more liturgical forms, like I'm Presbyterian. So we're kind of in a, it's a free worship tradition, but we have sort of a liturgy as well. So um, where the liturgy might be set and some people don't respond necessarily that well to liturgy, they kind of think, oh, we're doing the same thing every time. But in some ways, the framework might be able to be used in such a way that people can say, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of this other language. And then, and then I'm able to bring my honest self to that. And I wonder sometimes if we rely almost too heavily on, like if worshipers rely too heavily on the worship leader or the pastor to be the authentic one so that I can then be authentic. I don't know. I, I don't know if you have a, a response for that. Right. Yeah. The, um, the, the way that churches are starting to become right now, or I shouldn't say churches, uh, some churches. And uh, um, there's, there's a, there, some people have an ability to completely be anonymous. Yeah. They walk in, they, they uh, um, grab their hour of spirituality and then they can walk away. And um, that's certainly not, I guess, what you would say, honest worship, because you need to. It, it uh, worship is something that you give to God. It's it's a it is it is the work of the people. It is uh, um, liturgy in that sense, um, and we have to expose ourselves. Uh, allow it's it's a it's a vulnerable thing that we do, and uh, people aren't willing to be vulnerable before God and before one another to be able to be known well enough in a congregation. Like, okay, I've been, I've been at my church for 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and people know everything about me. And there's, although I'm the, I'm the primary worship leader at the church, um, there's nothing I can do to impress anyone anymore. Right. And when I, you know what I mean? Uh, like family, uh, right? It's family. Yeah. So, um, so because I can't impress anyone anymore, um, there's a great freedom in that, mm. that I can now just be myself. Right. And uh, I, I know that, you know, they say that the worship pastors, the, the lifespan of a worship pastor is, is like two to four years. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've, they've, they want to go someplace else where they can start impressing people again. Right. Because they have that, they, their, their false self, they have this neediness to, to be able to wow people and impress people. And mm-hmm. you have to get beyond that. And there's, there's, a, there's a humility that, is, that should be the proper response of, right. of being before a holy God. And I think, that, I think the role, and then I think sometimes we get confused about this, even for preachers, but also for, for worship leaders, um, we tend to forget that the role is really to help the gathered people worship God. Like we're, and, and you, you quoted uh, Kierkegaard. I think it's Kierkegaard on that, right? The, uh, right. The understanding right. of God being the audience and, and the actors on the stage of worship are the congregation, right? Uh, um, the a- actors, the people sorry. on the stage being the prompters oh, okay, and the yeah, actors, yeah. actors in the congregation being the, act, uh, the performers. Oh, yeah. The performers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I love that. I was, I was challenged in seminary. Um, we had, uh, by a professor to think about, I mean, our whole class was challenged to think about the role of the sermon or the message as part of worship and what role is it playing in helping facilitate the, the worship that the people are offering to God. I thought, Oh, like we don't think about messages and sermons that way. Right. You think, oh, this is the high point where people have come to listen to me, you know, share the word with them. And this is the, they're going to go home and have this message and hopefully apply it to their lives. Yeah, that's, that's true, you know. But do we ever stop and think about, well, what role is the message playing in facilitating God's people worshiping? Right, right. The ele- elevating, elevating the sermon to become the climax of the service. Um, Relatively speaking, I mean, historically speaking, is a is a is a pretty recent phenomenon. Yeah, it is. Uh, the the traditional and I would say the right uh, climax, if you want to use that word, to the ser- service should be the Lord's Supper. Yeah, the let's go back Eucharist. to your Catholic. Let's go back to your Catholic roots, right? <laughs> they had some things that were, I think, were yeah, yeah. more right. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, 
So in, in my context, uh, you know, um, my home church is, uh, um, theologically Baptist, but stylistically not so. Uh, and so we, we, um, have recaptured very many of the, of the liturgical things, uh, church calendar. We've, uh, re-embraced, um, a, a lot of things that I think the historic church, I think there, there was some wisdom in using some of these practices, yeah. um, which, which form us, which tell the story of God and, and then invite us into that story. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I've just gone totally off script. I sent you some questions in advance and just decided to abandon that, but we'll, we'll go back now. Um, you have a section where you talk a little bit about imagination and I was just fascinated by this cause this is, uh, like I'm, I write fiction and so I'm often thinking about imagination, uh, what is the role of imagination in worship? And I think actually in the book, you go even farther to really say the imagination has a, has a role in our spiritual life and our faith life in general. Yeah, I think, I think so. And and I think that this is one of the, one of the hangovers maybe of the reformation where we, um, where we became uh, this very word centric um, people. And, and as you said, you know, there's, I've seen, where sometimes services will devolve. The worship devolves into singing uh, and the sermon uh, devolves into studying. Right. And I think that there's so much more that we can, we can do there in terms of understanding God through the imagination. And I, t- I talk a little bit about how um, the, uh, historically the imagination was a, uh, considered a part of the intellect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were an intellectual person, you were also an imaginative person. And I think um, in our uh, Western paradigms, I think we've separated those two things. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily the right way to approach worship. I think that, that worship, um, I think a good worshiper is an imaginative worshiper. We can use the imagination to um, uh, to further worship God. And I use examples like, you know, have you ever, if you've ever looked at the a starry sky at night and imagine, tried to imagine how big our God is, mm-hmm. or imagine how He created the cosmos, or if you, if you are have ever been uh, uh, in the mountains and you've seen the grandeur of that and been blown away by that and how God made everything, and um, those are examples of how the imagination God uses our imaginations to to impress us upon his 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 greatness and his glory and his beauty uh we have a tendency to, to um pigeonhole that imagination into the lyrics of our songs hmm. but we can use um so many more ways artistic expressions to to capture that in a greater way hmm. um, the one word that uh i i don't think i used enough was the word beauty and i think that the um beauty being, and I, I believe it's true, beauty is a form of truth. And I think that we have a tendency to discount that a little bit. Truth being a very word-centric thing, and we've lost the idea that beauty is a form of truth. And I would say um, probably a, uh, a non-rational form of truth that, that God uses to display his glory. And um, we need to, imagination allows us to tap into that again, to um, see God through beauty and, and through um, the expressions uh, of God's people in beauty. So. Yeah. I can't remember the exact quote. It was uh, something from C.S. Lewis uh, where he was talking about the Psalms and it was something around how uh, the Psalms are like that they exercise our imagination I thought it was, oh, I wish I could find that quote, but it's, um, it is sort of helping us to understand. We, I just did a series on the Psalms over the summer and, um, and it's so true because you, you have to enter it, their poetry. So you've got to enter into the imagery. You've got to enter into, you know, what is it that the Psalmist is saying, but also what is God communicating through this? Um, and, and Absolutely. look at those images. So when it says, you know, I'm like a tree planted by streams of living water. There's so much going on there. You've got to yeah. you've got to use your imagination to enter that image. Um, 
So we can't just always be focused on the propositional truth. I think, like you say, we've been very right. focused on propositional truth. Right. The, uh, Robert Weber um, contends that um, one third of the Bible is poetry. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so, you know, you, if you ask the normal person on the street, you know, do you read poetry? And they'll, obviously they'll say no. But then you ask a Christian, do you read the Bible? And of course the answer is yes. I think we have to develop. The question is whether um, they're being honest. Or yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. the, the, I think we have to develop um, an appetite for poetry and for that, uh, um, which is an, you know, another artistic expression um, in order to understand God better because uh, God is the creator. He is a, he is, he's the creator God. Everything was made through the person of Jesus. I mean, well, um, uh, if we're made in his image, we have to um, recapture a sense of that. Um, that's, that, that's not so much in this book. I, I do talk a little bit about imagination in one of the chapters in Honest Worship, but I, that was, that's really the heart of my previous book mm. um, that's called uh, Imagine That. Oh, okay, so cool. uh, if anybody wants to go Amazon that one, um, yeah. It's called uh, uh, Imagine That, um, and that was done by Moody Publishers. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, can we just talk about worship music for a second? Like, uh, sort of the idea of poetry, we kind of went into poetry, and it's making me think of uh, bad worship lyrics. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, but I, like, my music director and I, like, we sometimes are trying to find, like, when we're trying to find music. Uh, to to go in a particular worship service. I don't know if people realize like how much thought actually goes into that. At least it does for us. Um, and sometimes it's really, really hard. Um, and, and then there are times when we're picking, like we have, we, have all, we do music from all over the map. So if we're looking at say a classic hymn, it can sometimes be like, I, sometimes I pick a, a classic hymn only because of the language, because it's so amazing. And then we stop in worship and I just have to say to people like, okay, we're about to sing this and, and just pay attention to these words. Like this is what's going on. It's rare that I do that with, with newer music. Right. Um, um, yeah. And I, and I, and I'm not going to go so far as to say is that there's bad stuff out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I will say, <laughs> I will say that <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of friends that write music. Yeah. That's uh, okay worship music um i will say though that a lot of the music is very derivative okay. uh there there they there's a sameness to a lot of the music that's out there so, yeah i wonder too about a product of our culture so if our culture is so influenced by consumerism and narcissism i'm not saying that someone's sitting down um and they're a narcissist so they're writing uh something that's very me focused but just we are in that culture and so that is sort of the natural do you think there's something to that that we kind of naturally end up focusing on me and only my personal relationship with Jesus? There's, there seems right. to be a lot of that, or there has right. been a lot of that. And maybe oh, there's yeah. some newer stuff now that's that's doing a bit better. But well, I th- there's all there's there's amazing worship yeah, music that's there, out there, there is, I and you say. have to you have to pick through it to find it. Yeah. Um, I I talk in the book. I talk about um, worshiping in the pronouns. Yeah. Um, and I, I talk about how, you know, there's, there's, there are, um, ascriptive songs, uh, in other words, songs that refer to you as the pronoun, the primary pronoun, you meaning God. So we're talking to God. There are, there are gathering songs and the operative pronoun is we, you know, we come, mm-hmm. uh, there are declarative songs, um, and the operative uh, pronoun is he. Um, so we're, we're ta- telling one another about the attributes of God, in other words, in the he. And then there are responsive songs, and the operative word is I. So now we're, we can talk about our experience of God. Sure. Um, so and my, my contention is that fully formed worship, corporate worship, has all of the yeah. pronouns well represented. Um, however, I, I'm seeing more and more um, this steady diet of I songs in the worship uh, experiences of many, many churches where almost all the songs are about I. And so what we're, what we end up is, is a subject 
subjective view of God based on how I'm feeling about him, right. uh, which is, uh, in my opinion, a very anemic view of God. Mm-hmm. God is God. Um, right. Our opinion of God is interesting, but it's not the truth of God. Yeah. And I like what so, you're saying about like that, those songs that are, that are going to focus on that. They, they are good songs. Like they're, they have their, their place, but they need to be in, they need to be in the mix of other songs that are, that are songs of praise to God talking about who God is. Right. Uh, and right. songs of collective sort of this we community idea. Right. Like I think the, we, the Psalms show that. Right. The, yeah. the oh, yeah. Have very much of a we focus, but then there's also an I focus too. Sure, there is. Yeah. And and, and uh, the the Psalms in their entirety um, have a really good balance of how we can understand God better. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. That's 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 helpful. I think people need to be encouraged as well. I shouldn't be so negative to to start that conversation. But I didn't I didn't hear you being negative about okay. it. I did. I do. Um, it's it's a it's a blessing to have so many songs that are out there it's also makes makes work a lot harder because you have to pick and pick through them to find the gems that's um, very true and it's oh. not it's not that easy can we can we talk real quickly as well about the role of the arts um so it's kind of related to imagination but what are the role of the arts in worship and then i i'm interested to hear what you might think about how that plays out differently in various styles and sizes of church well, the, um, there, you know, the, I, I come from an evangelical, um, background, but then I, I mentioned earlier that I, um, grew up as a uh, Catholic. So, mm-hmm. uh, you go from where you have a sanctuary full of, of, uh, imagery, uh, visual imagery and other imagery to a sanctuary that's very Spartan and bare and that kind of thing. And I think in the process of going from one to the other, I, I think we lost something. And so there's a whole, I've been a, an advocate for the arts for, um, for 10 years now, um, since my first book came out and I visited a lot of churches and I think that people are starving, um, for, um, artistic expressions. Uh, there, there are so many artists, God made us as artists, um, God made us as creative beings by nature. It's in our DNA. It's, 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 it's being made in the image of him. And then we, we don't give our artists in our congregations an opportunity to express that which God has given them. Yeah. And so it's been my uh, contention and my, one of my roles is to find opportunities and venues for those artists to express themselves in a way that glorifies God, but also in a way that uh, the, the role of the artist in a congregation in, in the church is to express um, feelings and thoughts and things that cannot be expressed in any other way for the benefit of the congregation. Hmm. Uh, you, 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 uh, you paint a painting and it expresses um, some aspect of humanity that others cannot express because they don't have the artistic gift. Mm. Uh, you write a, you write a story and that touches people because they li- have lived portions, portions of that story and they, uh, but they did not writers. So you, you, you fill a role in, in the, in the body of Christ by actually exercising your artistic gifts. Mm. And so um, I think it's a very, very important and misunderstood um, part of what it is to be, um, to be the body of Christ, to, mm-hmm. to allow our artists to be artists again. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, I have, I've, I think I'm, um, I mentioned to you earlier, um, I have a, uh, blog website, um, a couple of the, and I talk about this a whole lot. So I have like, uh, one of my blog, uh, blog posts is, uh, seven habits of the artist friendly church. And I have another one called, um, 81 things that you can do to become more artist friendly as a church. So the, um, it's a uh, Manuel lose.com. If, if anybody wants to go there um, and, uh, and check that out, 
and I have um, a, uh, I mentioned the book, imagine that, I call it um, Theology of the Arts for Dummies. I think a lot of the misunderstanding of the arts is that we don't have a fully formed theology of it to understand how, how we can interact with God and God interacts with us through the creative process. The church used to be kind of the hub and um, the, and the major patron of the arts, um, you know, in the Renaissance, right? Like that, um, it would not be great if that's, it still is a hub of creativity when you look, especially in worship music, like that's one area, but I think there's just other areas um, as well where that can, that creativity, there's a, there's the possibility for it again. I think so. I I, I think so. And I think that the churches in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of uh, really positive things that I have seen. Um, When I first started this, this part of my journey, um, I would always have people coming up to me wherever I spoke um, uh, whose hearts are broken by their own churches because they're, they can't find a place. And I'm finding now that the, the conversations, the dialogue has changed so that people are going, well, how can I do this better? Mm, the doors great. are opening in, 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 at least in the evangelical churches. Um, the more the high church kind of things and, and um, the, uh, they never lost the arts. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just that it's, it's put in a particular slot and, yeah. and that slot can be widened. That door can be opened as well. Yeah. So there was, uh, there's a, a quick story. A friend of mine just posted this on, uh, about this on Facebook uh, yesterday, I think, or the day before. And uh, it was this little church in Nova Scotia, the East coast of Canada. And um, it was over a hundred years old and there'd been a fire. The church had, had, burned down the congregation decided to rebuild their church building and to try to replicate the historic building that they had okay and one of the features of the church was that it had a night sky painted on the ceiling um, wow pretty unusual and they they tried to figure out how do we it like they couldn't figure out what the sky had like where were the stars and and all that kind of thing to get it exactly the way it was. And they finally worked out that the sky that was painted on the ceiling was someone had calculated what would the night sky have looked like on December the 24th in the, in the year one, you know, believing that that's exactly when Jesus was born in, uh, in Nova Scotia. Oh my so gosh. What would our sky have looked like that night? And that's what was painted there. And it was painted like over a hundred years ago. So someone back then had sat down and worked out all of the math and all of the astronomy, and then had also an artist who had then gone and done it. So when we think about like giving things to the glory of God, like that to me, that's incredible. Um, you know, people might want to debate whether they should reconstruct it traditional church and all that kind of thing, whether that's the best thing, but it's like, there's something about beauty and art. And that also is engaging somebody's gift in like mathematics and astronomy and all of that. That's those people might not necessarily think of themselves as creative or artistic, Mm. but, but they are, and they're offering their, what they have to, to God's glory. Right. It's it's kind of cool. That's a great story. Yeah, I so that. I think there's like a YouTube video for it somewhere. So I, maybe I'll try and look it up before I before I post this uh, uh, interview on and, and see if we can find a, a link to that so people can right. go see it. Now, as we, as we talk about the arts, though, I just want to caveat that um, the arts are more than just the visual arts. I think that some people have yep. that. They have a tendency to, to kind of pigeonhole that. But I'm talking about all the arts from, from the uh, um, visual arts to uh, literary arts the musical, um, all the performing arts, dance, um, acting, drama. Um, we, uh, we do an arts camp every year for our kids and it includes the culinary arts as well. So we, we teach, we teach, uh, uh, cooking to the kids and as well as uh, dance, drama, music, um, visual arts, all of that. So that's, that's awesome. That gives, that's going to give all new meaning to the church potluck. (laughs) <laughs> church potluck dinners it, it is a lot of fun yeah all right um 
Can I, before we wrap up, because you've been going for quite some time here, I want, I want to just ask you, because I ask most of my guests, um, what are some of the practices of faith that you engage in on a regular basis to stay connected to God? I mean, this, this podcast is kind of about, um, mostly about spiritual practices, but we'll talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, I, I love you, the premise of your, yeah. of your podcast too, Spirituality for Ordinary People. Yeah. Uh, I, I consider myself an ordinary person, so that's great. Um, yeah, uh, uh, there's uh, there's journaling, which is something um, that I um, I have expanded to include doodling. Nice. I doodle a lot, and um, I have tried my best to um, uh, recapture the spiritual aspect of doodling in my life. So, but uh, um, uh, journaling is a is a is a regular part of it. Um, blogging is an extension of of my journaling. Um, sometimes I have something that that I think. Not only do I uh, need to express to myself and to God before God, but also God places it on my heart to express it to others. So there's that blogging, um, reading, you know, just reading different books and and uh, reading the Bible. Um, I have this I have this thing that I I call putting on different eyes. Hmm. Um, it's uh, it's uh, entering into the moment of whatever I am and trying to see God in it. So like I'll be driving down the street and uh, you know, you're paying attention to the traffic and the stoplights, but then I tell myself, okay, let's, let's pay attention to the trees. Let's pay attention to the grass. Let's pay attention to the blue sky. And uh, so you're putting on different eyes, more spiritual eyes to see God in the midst of all of it. That's something that I try to do. I like that. Um, uh, as a musician, um, the, the practice of, of playing my instrument, um, practicing, uh, is a form of worship for me. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, and I try to, I try to teach that to my teams as well, that uh, worship is as much a form, I'm sorry, practices as much a form of worship Mm -hmm. as the actual being on stage leading worship is a, is a form of worship. And in fact, every morning, every Sunday morning before we, um, lead the congregation, um, we actually will go through the entire set, the the, wor- the musical worship portion of our of our service, and I tell everybody, there's no one in the room here but God. So let's just you and I, let's all worship together, and we'll worship through the entire um, musical part of it before the con- good congregation shows up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, um, the um, because I'm a uh, um, an oddball person. Um, I, I try to I try to make up my own spiritual disciplines. So um, the traditional ones, you know, uh, reading, journaling, fasting, all of those are are good, and and I do use those as well. But um, in, in one of my books, I talk about the example of the spiritual discipline of hugging. Um, so, and I, I'm I'm only going to share this because I think that there are more spiritual disciplines that are out there that we can come up with if we think about it. You did so, invent your own musical instrument. So. <laughs> um, uh, there, there, I, it, it came to my attention that I was a little stiff and I, didn't, I wasn't a touchy-feely person by nature and I needed to change in that way. I needed to be able to allow my body to express what my heart was actually feeling. So, and I was challenged to that. So, I came up with this idea of the spiritual discipline of hugging where I would uh, ignore my stiffness and um, I would hug people as a greeting and I made myself hug for people. And this, this went on for a long period of time. And at first it freaked people out because they weren't expecting it from me, (laughs) but then it eventually it became a normal thing. And now I don't even think about it anymore. Mm. I see someone and I hug them. So it, and in the course of the repetition of that spiritual practice, um, I think it helped to form my heart a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so actually, there we go. There's some even, ideas. Uh, so, you know what, even in just the way you told that, I like, I'm not recommending everyone go and make hugging your spiritual practice, you know, <laughs> um, but even just the way you told it, it kind of actually gives insight into how spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines can work. Right. Mm-hmm. You took that up. As something at, at first, oh, I don't know if I this is exactly comfortable or it doesn't feel natural. 
that's often how any spiritual practice is at first. Um, you know, I, mm, I don't know, reading the Bible every day. I don't know. It, does that feel natural? Well, eventually it will, right? Like the hugging now, um, it's, you don't even think about it. And that's actually kind of what we want prayer to become in a way, right? Like it's, there, there are times to be intentional about it, but there's also a lifestyle of this is just part of my natural, how I behave in the world. Um, so yeah, yes, I, I think I like the, I like the way you told that, that because it, uh, I think that can really help people kind of connect how spiritual practices are, are in fact supposed to work on us in order mm-hmm. to kind of form us into the kinds of people who naturally um, have that as part of our life or, or are that way. Right. Um, well said. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, awesome. I think that's a, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say one, one, one other thing about it too is um, for those who do spiritual disciplines, I think there's a tendency to lean into the ones that we do really well. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if you're a person who, who likes to read the Bible, that's becomes your, your spiritual discipline. And then you don't venture out and do the things that actually will form you because you're already well formed in that particular area. In my example of hugging, it, it was a blind spot for me and yeah. someone else had to call it out and say, you need to do something about this. And so, and then, so it was counterintuitive. It was not something I wanted to do, but eventually game became something that is natural and normative for me. Oh, that, well, that's, uh, that's awesome. That's the, that's the gold right there. Yeah. I've got more blind spots than I know. <laughs> well, we, we all do. Um, where can people find you or find information about, uh, about your books? What's the best place? Just tell us that those, those websites again, that people can head to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, my, my blog site is uh, com. So that's M-A-N-U-E-L-L-U-Z.com. Um, I talked about the walkabout. That's walkabouttdrum.com. It's all one word. So you can check that out. And, and it's, it's a, if anything, it's a novelty thing for, for some people. But um, And then you can get uh, both of my books on Amazon. So yeah. there you go. Sounds good. Thank you so much for, for doing this. It was so great to meet you. It was uh, really fun talking to you too. I, I would get up early again. <laughs> <laughs> On the West Coast and we're recording this in the morning. So uh, yeah, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful to listen to this conversation Uh, And uh, just to kind of give you a sense of what I took away out of this, some key learnings that that maybe you want to reflect a little more about the importance of being yourself or being authentic in the context of worship and how this must be modeled by worship leadership. We talked a bunch about that. We talked about how beauty is a form of truth that must not be discounted, how imagination, which is part of the intellect, is a primary way to appreciate, understand, and recognize the truth of God. One of the things that stuck out for me was this idea of worshiping in the pronouns and how paying attention to what the operative pronouns in our songs that are being sung in worship, how that's so important. And and we need this balance of songs where we sing to God or using the pronoun you or about God, he, and about our response to God or I, we language. So Manuel talked a bunch about how Uh, we tend to have a lot more of the I-we kind of language than we do the other uh, ways of singing about God or to God. And um, he was saying we need a balance of those things. So those are things to think about, particularly for worship leaders. Uh, Right toward the end, we talked a little bit about um, our tendency to lean into the spiritual disciplines that we do really well and how we don't necessarily venture out. So some, some, some things to think about around that last one in particular, what might be the spiritual discipline that you have hesitated to do or just haven't wanted to try out, um, and then you're just always falling back into the same pattern? Um, is there something else you could do? Uh, another thing to think about, what would it look like for you to be honestly yourself before God and in your church? And then finally, what artistic or imaginative gift might you have 
that you could offer for the benefit of your worshiping community. So I'm going to leave you with those things to think about. If you want to have those kind of in front of you, I just put those on the show notes for this podcast and you can just go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you'll see these key learnings there and a few things to think about that you can just review for yourself. Um, So thank you once again for listening today uh, and I hope you uh, come back and take a look at some of the other episodes. You can also get all of the back episodes at spiritualityforordinarypeople.com. The best thing you can do, though, is subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or in some other way that you might receive podcasts. Um, Please do that. And if you can, leave a review and rating in iTunes because that really helps people find the podcast. It just makes it more visible so that others can enjoy and be helped um, by the folks that I'm getting on to this show to be interviewed. Um, So again, thanks so much for listening and hope you have a great day. Take care.